I just, I love you, but you know, sometimes I just don't trust you. <laughs> you might play a joke on me. All right, Habakkuk chapter 3, I'm going to pick up in verse 16, so stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. You'll find these similar words and follow along. Habakkuk says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait. I will patiently wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invaded us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He, he makes me tread on high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Father, this is your word, not mine, so Lord... You had a plan, you had a purpose for it when uh, you gave it to Habakkuk. And Lord, you've got a plan for it to speak into our hearts this morning. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is that, Lord, you would take your word and you would use your spirit to illuminate your word in, in our hearts, in our minds, that we may see it for as it is. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd speak deeply into the hearts of your people this morning. Do it for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's a uh, somewhat of a legendary experiment that John Hopkins University conducted uh, several years ago. And they wanted to see how long a rat uh, could swim in water before it actually died. And so they, they stuck a few rats in there at the very beginning. And they lasted about 10 minutes before they died. Okay? And so then they, they stuck another round of, of rats in the water, and, and here's the only thing they did different. I mean, they didn't change the water temperature. They didn't change the depth of the water. Here's the only thing they did different. About four to five times within those first ten minutes, they would take the rats out. Let them catch a break, just a few seconds. Put them right back in. Four or five times within those first ten minutes. Whereas the first group only lasted 10 minutes before they drowned, the second group, being taken out four to five times within the first 10 minutes, 60 hours. The only thing that they introduced in the second round of testing was this idea of hope. That they could make it, there was something out there that they could, that they could survive, and they, they lasted 100 times longer than without them. I've heard it said before that you can go 40 days without food. You can go four days without water. You can go about four minutes without air. But you really can't live four seconds without having hope in your life. In the book of Habakkuk, there, if there's anybody that has a hopeless situation, it would be Habakkuk. When we get into Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk, he's, he's breathing this prayer. He's, he's saying this prayer, Lord... How long do I have to wait? I mean, I've been crying out to you. I've been, been asking that you would send a revival. There, there's wickedness in the land. It's a perverted land. There's no justice. The evil, the, the, the justice system is twisted. It's perverted. And so, Lord, I'm crying out that, 
that there would be revival. Lord, how long do we have to wait for this revival? It, it's very much, Habakkuk lived very much in a time like we would consider the United States of America, where everything is just twisted and, and perverted, even in our legal system. And here's how God answers his prayer in chapter chapter 1. If I, could, if I were to tell you what I'm about to do, you wouldn't even believe it. Because I'm not getting ready to send revival. I'm getting ready to send, send destruction. I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're going to come. and They're going to bring destruction. You're going to be taken into captivity. I mean, it's just going to be, it's just going to be terrible. And so when you get to chapter 2, Habakkuk says, Lord, this don't make sense to me. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go up into the tower. I'm going to elevate myself above this situation because it doesn't make sense to me. So I've got to get a new perspective upon upon what you're doing in the midst of this situation. And sometimes that's where you and I find ourselves. We find ourselves in a situation where life just does not make sense. We find ourselves in a trial or a a tribulation because maybe we've messed up and there's guilt and, and things like that. Maybe we've just been faithful and there's persecution because of our faithfulness. Or maybe it's just because we live in a sin-filled world and the situation you find yourself, it's not, it's not anybody's fault. It's just the result of living in, a, in, in, in the fall. And what you need to do is you need to separate yourself from that situation. That's what Habakkuk does in chapter 2, verse 1. I've got to get above to get a new perspective. And then in chapter 2, verse 4, one of the most central teachings of the entire scriptures, God utters in chapters two, chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all of this destruction, he said, the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk, you're not going to like what's coming. It's not going to be a good time. It's going to be it's going to be very, very difficult. But Habakkuk, you're my child, and the righteous person shall live by faith. And so we, people who are of faith, people who love Jesus with everything that we have, when life doesn't make sense, when we are in the midst of suffering, we hang on to this great hope. It's what the writer of Hebrews said. You remember the book of Hebrews says, there is this great anchor for my soul. There's this great hope that I have for my soul. There's a great hope that no matter what we go through, we have this hope that everything's going to be okay. So in the final chapter of the book of Habakkuk, he speaks directly to this issue of hope in the midst of tragedy. And so if you've got your little um, bulletin there, uh, you've got your little handy-dandy outline, you can follow along with me if you want to write it down. Don't make an airplane out of it. Uh, that will offend me. Um, but if you want to write these things down, I, I pray that they'll be a blessing to you. So number one, so as we think about this idea of life giving hope, hope and suffering, it's not that they can coexist. Maybe a better word I could have used there is they must coexist. Hope and suffering can and must coexist together. Now, look what he says here in verse 16. He says, Lord, I hear about what you're getting ready to do. I hear about the destruction that the Babylonians are going to bring, and my body trembles. The, the Hebrew word there, it literally speaks of his bowels. I don't need to go into very much depth of what he's trying to convey there. He, he's, he's, he's in such pain, uh, anguish physically that he's got an upset stomach. My lips quiver at the sound of what's getting ready to happen. You ever seen a child that, uh, you know, I see it in, 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 in Asher at this point in time, but every, you know, small child does it. When they don't get what they want and that bottom lip just start, starts quivering, 
that's what he's saying. My, my, my lips are quivering at, at what's getting ready to happen. Rottenness enters into my bone. He says, I just can't even make it. It's just difficult. I, I, I'm just, I am so discouraged. I am so depressed about what's getting ready to happen. I can't even get myself out of bed in the morning. It's hard for me to put one foot in, in front of the other. He's literally, he's shaking in his boots when he says this next statement. My legs tremble beneath me. He's it's just he's shaking within his boots. And yet, here's what he said. In the midst of all of that, in this midst of tragedy, I will quietly wait for the days of trouble. I will patiently wait for the days of trouble. Tim Keller says this Hebrew word for quietly or patiently wait it literally means like this deep peace, this inner peace that he has. And so he dreads the coming invasion. He hates the sinfulness of what he sees. He can't stand to think about the death and the destruction that is coming. It scared him out of his mind. Yet in the midst of this deep sorrow, he says, I, I've got a tremendous peace that's going to happen that, that, that I have about this situation. His feelings have not changed. He's still overwhelmed with grief, but there's this great hope within him at the same time of his grief that everything's going to be okay. You say, well, Pastor, why is that important? Because many times, here's what's going to happen. You'll have this knucklehead on uh, TBN or, or, or some station like that that says, well, now, if, if you're just going through a hard time and, and you just can't have the joy of the Lord, you can't put a smile on your face, then you've got sin in your life and you're not walking by faith. That's a lie. Okay? I mean, don't believe some knucklehead like that. It, it's possible for you to have a deep sorrow, for you to be deeply grieved, for you to cry your eyeballs out and still have an inner peace. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Sorrow and hope, they must coexist together at the same time. And so listen to this. You say, well, I'm just not sure. Maybe maybe that guy on TBN is right. Well, what about Job? Y'all remember Job, right? Everybody's heard about the book of Job. Job chapter 1. Job was a rich man, had a lot of, he had family, he had money, he had a lot of herds. In Job chapter 1, he lost everything. Lost all of his children, lost all of his flocks. The only thing he had left was his, uh, was his house and his wife. You get to the end of chapter Job, verse 3, I mean, the last three verses of Job chapter 1. Here's what he said. Job arose and tore his clothes, shaved his head, and he fell on the ground. That, that's a picture of grief. I mean, in the Old Testament, when, when something bad happened, you tore your clothes, you wept, you shaved your head, you've done all of these things. We don't do that today, amen? But here's what he says. He fell on the ground and he worshiped. At the same time, in the midst of his grief, he goes and worships. There's grief and there's hope. And this is what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Notice his worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. There's great sorrow there, Phil. He's lost everything. But then you see this, this, this hope that he has in the midst of all of this. He's worshiping. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Very much in grief, but there's great hope within him as well. This past week, some, I sent out a text message. I hope you got it. And you prayed for me. My, my childhood best friend, his dad, passed away this past week. and uh, They asked me to drive back to South Carolina and do his funeral on, on Thursday. So we, me and uh, Joshua and Savannah drove back to South Carolina on Wednesday. 
Thursday at his funeral, I ran out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. It's where Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, uh, speaking of those who have, uh, who have passed away. He says, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware about those who have fallen asleep, those who have passed away, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. You see what he's saying? He says, you're going to sorrow. There's going to be deep grief when people pass away. But you don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. There's a great hope for those who are followers of Christ that, that we can sorrow, we can cry our eyeballs out. But then there's a great hope that comes with that as well. Remember Jesus? How many times Jesus wept? One time he's up on the mountain, he looks over out over Jerusalem, and he's, he's crying his eyes out at the sinfulness of his nation. One time Lazarus passes away and he's gone away to his tomb and, and Jesus wept. Je- was, was Jesus somehow sinning in the midst of that? No. He's in grief. But that doesn't mean there's not a great hope there. And so that's what I'm saying. You know, you have these people, they have this idea. When you go through a difficult time, you just go ahead and grieve. And then eventually there's going to be this hope that's going to come. No. You have to have both mutually exclusive at the same time. If you don't have hope in the midst of your sorrow, your sorrow will overcome you. Your sorrow will beat you down. And so you, if there's going to be life-giving hope, it's got to exist at the same time as your grief. If not, you'll lose your mind. Number two, and I want to say this very, very carefully. I'll say it very humbly. Hope is a choice. I want you to stick with me just a minute because you're going to say, well, Pastor, that's kind of mean to those who are very very much going through a difficult time. How could they just have say, oh, it's a choice. They're, they're, gonna, they're just going to choose hope. All right, so notice what he says in verse 16. Y'all see it in verse 16, right? He has deep sorrow, but then there's a, there's a great hope. Y'all see that, right? Now, verse 17, it speaks of destruction. And, and it, it's destruction from the Lord. It's a famine, the the, the fig tree's not going to blossom. There's not going to be any any uh, grapes on the vines. The, the olives, no, not going to be there. No no food in the garden. The flocks, they're all going to die. There's not going to be any herds in the in the in the um, in the stables. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. In fact, he says it twice. If you were to submit this book for a manuscript, an editor would tell you you don't need to say something twice. If you already said it once, you don't say it twice. No, he he puts it in here for tw- repetition. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 19, God is my strength. Paul in Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians is a book of joy. In Philippians chapter 4, he commands the church at Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. What are you trying to say to us here? Well, J.D. Greer says it this way. Rejoicing, or we could just say having hope, rejoicing is not a description of the feelings you have. It is a choice to posture your heart to what you know to be true, even when you don't feel like it. It's a choice to, to posture your heart to what you know to be true, even when you don't feel like it. Think about this. Your feelings have no brains. Your feelings don't dictate how you feel. Your brains get to determine what your feelings are. You say, well, what are you doing? You just, you know, you just kind of tell your feelings what to feel? Nope. When I say that rejoicing or having hope is a, is a choice, 
you can explain to yourself why you can have hope in the midst of a difficult time. I'll, I'll show you how in just a moment. But first, let me tell you a little story. Alan Gardner. Anybody ever heard of the name of Alan Gardner? Anybody? It's somewhat new to me, but it's a phenomenal story. Alan Gardner, some years ago, many years ago, he and his team set out on a uh, missionary journey to take the gospel to some of the remote parts of South America, like way down at the at the tip of South America. And you know it gets cold down there. You know you're getting close to Antarctica by the time you get to the tip. And so as they, they're working their way down, their their ship uh, wrecks. They're stranded there, and so they begin to try to wait it out for rescuers to come and rescue the people. Rescuers never make it in time. Every, every single person that's on this missionary journey with Alan Gardner passes away. Alan Gardner, best that they can kind of recollect and, and you know piece the stories back together, was the last person uh, to die of starvation there on that on that journey. And underneath his body, when they removed his body, they found his journal. And this was the last entry in his journey, in his journal. He had written Psalm 34, verse 10. Here's what Psalm 34, verse 10 says. The young lion, lions suffer want and hunger, but those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. The young lions, they will suffer hunger and want, but those who seek the Lord lacks no good thing. And underneath that final verse, he had written these words. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. <laughs> Here, here's a man, literally, Connor, hours or days away from dying of starvation. He says, I'm just overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. What, what's he doing there? He's got this great hope in the midst of this tragedy. He, he's making a choice that he's realizing the goodness of God that has been given to him, even when he was about to give his life. You say, well, how does he do that? Well, number three. Hope comes by remembering and repeating. Here's, here's what I mean, mean by that. If you were to read Habakkuk chapter 3, you probably would not pick up on this, but most of, or a lot of Habakkuk chapter 3, it's a prayer. You see it at verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the, the prophet not even going to pronounce that last name according to somebody. But most of chapter 3 of what he writes in this prayer, he's remembering the Exodus. He's, he's remembering the Exodus is the Old Testament version of our salvation. So here's what I mean by that. Look in verse 4. His brightness was like the light, rays that flashed from his hand. It's a reference to God and his appearing at Mount Sinai. Look at verse 5. Before him went pestilence and plagues followed at his heels. That's, that's a reference to the plagues that, that God used Moses to deliver the children from Israel. Look at verse 10. It speaks of the parting of the Red Sea. The mountain saw you and ride. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It's lifted, it lifted its hands on high. Verse 11 speaks of the time when Joshua prayed for more time. The, and the sun and moon stood still in their place. Uh, verse 13, it speaks of God bringing Egypt down um, to its, well, just humbling Egypt. Uh, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, that's Egypt, uh, laying him bare from thigh to neck. 
And so when, when life did not make sense to Habakkuk, when, when he thought about this destruction that the Babylonians were going to bring, he began to recount his salvation. He began to recount this great deliverance that God had brought to, to Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt. So I want you to catch this very carefully. It's very important for you to determine today, determine right now in your life what's going to be true joy for you. Just being honest. You know when most of us have joy? When is, maybe when the stock market's doing really good and our stocks are up. We have, we have joy when maybe we, um, our marriages and our relationships are good, when we finally get this right job. We, we, we find joy in all of those things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't receive some happiness from that. I'm not saying that at all. But if that's your ultimate joy, your world will be rocked. When a tragedy or a trial comes your way, what Habakkuk is saying to us here is, man, when, when life is falling apart and you're faced with a difficult situation like that, you have to go back to those things that really, really brought you joy in your life. And for him, that was his salvation. So therefore, he teaches us that our joy needs to be grounded in what God has done for us, not the things that God has given to us. And so here's what that means. We take joy in the fact that our sins have been forgiven. We take joy in the fact that our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. We take joy in the fact that we can never be separated from the love of Jesus. We take joy in the fact that our future is brighter than our past. We take joy in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We take joy in the eternal things of God over the temporal things of this world. In Psalm 103, David prayed, See what David prayed. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And here's, here's what he said. Forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, O my soul, Phil. And here's how I'm going to bless him. I'm not going to forget the things that he's done in my life. I'm not going to forget this great salvation that he has used in my life. That's what Habakkuk. You see, one of the keys in determining your spiritual health will be how often you review the benefits of your salvation. How often time, how many times you review the lengths that God went to make sure that you were forgiven and restored. You say, why do I need to do that? Because yesterday's victories will not sustain you for tomorrow's trial. You want to go and get a word from God from last week and want that word of God to carry you for the next month. You can't do that. You, here's why I say remember and repeat. Because every day you're remembering what God has done for you. Every day you're remembering. You're going back to His Word. You're seeking Him. You're spending time with Him in His Word. If you're not willing to remember and repeat, if you're not willing to do that, your hope and your faith will shrivel up until it's almost non-existent. Then when a storm comes, instead of drawing near to the Lord, you're going to pull further away. You ever notice... I don't know why, I just remember this name. First funeral I've ever done, his name was Tom Horn. Uh, lived right outside of St. Paul's, um, right off of Chicken Foot Road. I don't know why I remember stuff like that. <laughs> you know? Chicken Foot Road, though. You can't forget that name. Kind of like Canada. Um, but Tom Horn. I remember saying to his sister, he didn't have a wife, I remember saying to his sisters, ladies, you can either let this time draw you nearer to the Lord or you can let it push you further away but you won't say goodbye 
that's what trials and tragedies do in our lives. You can, you can watch people. They'll either draw near and you'll just see a sense of worship or they'll rebel. They'll have arrogance. They'll have pride. Lord, why in the world did you let this happen? What did I do to deserve this? You either grow cold and sour or you'll be humbled by God's presence in the midst of the storm and you'll seek Him as a result. So if you want to have this a great hope, you go back like Habakkuk did. You remember what God has done for you. And you keep repeating the process. I want to close with this thought. Habakkuk went back to what God had used Moses to do in the Exodus. Right? Remember? The plagues. Parting of the Red Sea. The deliverance. It goes back to what Moses had done. I hope you realize we've got somebody that is far greater than we're talking about King Jesus here. Just think about this just for a moment. Moses risked his life to deliver Israel from bondage. Jesus didn't just risk his life. He gave his life so that we could be delivered out of our sin. Moses only slew a lamb to spread the blood over the doorpost of Israel's houses. Jesus was himself the Lamb of God who was slain so that his blood could cover our sin. Moses established a system where priests uh, represented people before God going into His presence daily with the names of Israel engraved on precious stones worn over their hearts. Jesus is Himself our high priest standing continually in God's presence on our behalf with our name engraved on His heart. On His heart. And back He says, hey, I'm going back to the only salvation I know. What Moses we go back to someone that is far greater than Moses. We go back to someone who loved us enough that he gave his life, even while we didn't deserve it. So when trials come, you remember, and you repent. You remember, and you repent. You make this choice that in the midst of your sorrow, you're going to hang on to a great hope as well. You pray with me? Lord, I have this great hope that is an anchor for my soul. Lord, I know there's people here under the sound of my voice that, Father, they're going through a tough time today. Lord, their world not necessarily turned upside down, but, Lord, their world's difficult. And so, Lord, today I pray that there would be a peace that passes all understanding, that it would guard their hearts and their minds, that they would, Lord, they would hang on to this great hope that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody in this room this morning, that, Lord, they've never surrendered their life to you. Lord, they've, they've never asked Jesus to be their Savior. And, Lord, today during this invitation, Lord, I pray that they would get up from where they are and they would walk forward take me by the hand and Lord just simply say today I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord you loved us enough that he you sent Jesus to die for us Lord in the midst of chaos only because of him do we have this great hope Lord thank you for your, your precious word and how it ministers to our hearts 
Lord, you are good to us. Even when we don't deserve it. Father, I love you with everything that I have. But that pales in comparison to the love that you have for us. I thank you, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray.